he is pulpit swapping with Mike, which means Mike is uh, battening down the hatches in Pearland, and Jason's here to uh, fill our ears and our hearts, hopefully, with the, the word that God has given to him. Having already heard it, you're going to like it. It's good stuff, but he doesn't need all that. Um, anyway, uh, Jason is going to come and uh, listen closely. It's all yours. Let me just say, first of all, this is one of the privileges I have uh, to be here. Uh, the first time I got to preach here was about six years ago, and I immediately fell in love with the people in the place. And it's only uh, grown since then. I want to pick on a couple of people. Conveniently, they're not here. First off, uh, Janelle Henderson, I've actually known her for 23 years. I've known her since she was in sixth grade, and oh, do I have stories. <laughs> and for a, a small fee, I will let you know those stories. Um, but also Janelle's husband, Chris, uh, someone I just esteem and admire and respect deeply, uh, or not just his mind, uh, but for his heart. Uh, also, I just want to say, um, having had the privilege of getting to know Michelle and Zach over the last few years, I just... Um, I never walk away from a conversation with them without feeling encouraged, but also challenged at the same time. And then Wes Pogue, what you guys don't know about Wes is that he actually helped pave the way for me at Southway. He preached, uh, they call it pulpit supply. In other words, they were looking for someone to, to preach a sermon. Wes comes in and talks to the congregation about how difficult it will be to transition from a youth pastor into being more of a senior or lead pastor. I would have never been able to do some of the things I've done in the last five years. Was it not, would it not be for what Wes did to help the church get ready? Who is this guy and when is he going to wear real, you know, he's wearing jeans. When is he going to wear a suit? The answer to that question is never. And um, they've been okay with that, large in part to what Wes has done. So this church, you guys are not just affecting this area. You're affecting Southeast Houston. And so I just want to say um, thank you. Another disclaimer I want to tell you about, and that's this, and that is um, tonight at 4 o'clock, student worship. And I want to tell you that traditionally, uh, in, in, where, in the denomination I grew up, anytime the youth or the children would do something, parents would be ready with their cameras. Now it's just their phone, uh, but they'd be ready to take pictures because they look all so cute, right? I, first of all, I encourage you to be here to, today at 4. I was actually trying to get here, but I have a deacon's meeting and premarital counseling and they need counseling, so uh, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. But I would tell you that the, the students are not preparing to be cute. I want everyone to look at me. They're not coming to be cute. They're coming to bring it, and you better be ready. And Ryan is preaching on 1 Corinthians 12, and, and I, 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 I'm telling you he's going to bring it. And so, first of all, come, but don't just come going, oh, look, they're just so precious. No, you come and go and... I'm ready to get my face blown off because that's what's going to happen, okay? In fact, um, we're not partner churches technically, but actually our church is doing the exact same series as you are, what I need for Christmas. We're actually, this is a beta test for more partnership opportunities in 2015. And so what we're doing is we're taking Advent and we're looking at the themes of Advent, love, peace, hope, joy. And, and it's really what everyone needs for Christmas Everyone wants something for Christmas. How many of you want something for Christmas? Most of you. Raise your hands. Okay. Okay. Some of you are like, I don't want anything. That's a lie, and that's okay. I was still <laughs> okay. 
But sometimes the wants overshadow the needs people have, right? Everyone everywhere needs to be loved. Everyone everywhere needs peace. And everyone everywhere needs hope. Hope. So the question is, where is hope fully found? I want to invite you, if you have a Bible, to turn to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28, starting in verse 1 through verse 10, will be our primary text this morning. I'll actually start off in Romans before we get to Matthew. But as you're turning to Matthew 28, I was recently reminded of an interview I saw with a man named Michael. They, they hit his face and they changed his name. He was the airline attendant who actually checked in Mohammed Atta. You may not be familiar with that name. Mohammed Atta was one of the catalysts behind the 9-11 bombings. And in the days and weeks and months after 9-11, Michael talked about how he had trouble eating. He had trouble sleeping. He was blaming himself, saying, if I had only had stopped him, this would not have happened. In fact, he would see visions of Atta while he was milling about in New York City. He would be... Uh, He'd be driving from one place to the other, and he would see him either on the street or in a restaurant. He would have these visions. And he's, he, he had this one quote that I'll never forget. He said, they took a journey that ended in death. That line just leapt out at me like a lion. They, they took a journey that ended in death. Two women in Matthew 28 are taking a journey to the tomb. It's a journey that, in their minds, is ending in, in death. The death of Jesus Christ. Even though he made claims, they saw him crucified. They, they heard and felt the earthquake that happened when the death of Christ occurred. And they're, they're traveling to the tomb on a journey that is uh, potentially going to end in death. The situation that they faced was rather hopeless. Hopeless. How many of you know someone who's hopeless? How many, you don't have to raise your hand, but just think about it. How many of you know someone who, because of their life circumstance or their situation or just the accumulation of years and years and years and years of sorrow, they just, they're hopeless? How do you help them? Uh, God will make it better. Just doesn't do the trick, right? Just let go and let God. That. Great for a bumper sticker, bad for advice, yes? What would you tell Mary and Mary as they're traveling to the tomb, taking a journey that they thought was going to end in death? Everyone everywhere needs hope. Everyone everywhere needs it. And I'm going to make a very audacious claim today. And some of you who are more skeptical are going to be like, eh? I don't know. Some of you who are, who are a little bit more, um, less skeptical, more ready to just jump in with both feet are going to be like, duh. Some of you are going to think it's too simplistic. Others of you may think it's too naive. Many of you think, hey, you're living in fantasy land. You need to get, get away from the Hobbit, get back in the real world. Here's the claim I want to make to you that I think Matthew will, will illustrate. Is that our source for an ending hope is solely based on Jesus Christ's unequaled resurrection. I want everyone to look at me. I, w- I want us to get, to get on that. This is the, the, what the people in the preaching world called the big idea or the phrase that pays. Or If, the, if you don't get anything else out of the day, you, may, you don't want to get this. Our source for unending hope is solely based 
on Jesus Christ's unequaled resurrection. And that right there flies in the face of religion, culture, and America itself. Here's what I mean. Religion says, I've got to earn it. I earn it, therefore I'm accepted. Culture says, I don't need that. I can find it somewhere else. In a guy or a girl, in a thing, in a possession, in a place, even in a philosophy that I ascribe to. And what does America say? You earn it. You pull yourself up by your what? Bootstraps. Right? We are self-made men and women. By the way, that is the most intoxicating, poisonous lie I've ever heard. No one is self-made. No one. Do you see how that statement, because it has nothing to do with you, it has everything to do with Jesus. You see how that statement flies in the face of religion? Uh, a guy named Tim Keller, one of your reading books is The King's Cross, his commentary on Mark. He said this about religion. Religion says, I obey, therefore God accepts me. The gospel says, God has accepted you, now you can obey. That statement, that our hope is fully and surely and only based on Christ's resurrection, flies in the face of religion, flies in the face of culture, flies in the face of America. And just to, to make sure we're all on the same page here, what do I mean by hope? Because one recent writer said, here is what hope is. Modern hope is to wish for, to expect, but without certainty of the fulfillment, to desire very much, but with no real assurance of getting your desire. That writer needs a hug, right? <laughs> it's going to be okay, dear, right? I dare say that the Bible defines hope a little bit differently. I'm going to offer this definition Hope is to have a confident expectation that what God says will be, will actually be. Hope is to have this confident expectation that what God says will be, will actually be. Paul, writing to the Roman church in chapter 8, verse 24, says, For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he, has, what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see... We wait for it with patience. What is he talking about? The hope of heaven, the hope of Christ. That's something that he says is true, will be true. The hope of change. Where does this come from? How does Paul write with such confidence? After all, Paul, if you read his letters, is no stranger to hard times and suffering. The genesis of this hope comes in what we're going to read from Matthew. Matthew chapter 28. Starting in verse 1, I'll pause at verse 4 to make some comments. Now after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. I want to pause there. They were going to say goodbye. They saw him die. They saw him get buried. They're going to say goodbye. They're, they're taking a journey that has ended in death. And then all of a sudden, a violent, great earthquake. Now, in Matthew 27, there was an earthquake. The veil was ripped in two. Can you, I want you to put yourself as, as a journeyer, a fellow, a fellow journey person on this road. And you've already seen and felt one earthquake, and you're on your way, and then another earthquake. Would you be tempted to just kind of, really? Really, God? You know, you're in danger of being put in timeout, right? I mean, kids, so you're at, imagine being Mary and Mary, 
All we want to do is say goodbye, and now here's an earthquake. It's almost like it can't get any worse. And then right then, things change. An angel comes down from heaven. And I want to say this as forcefully as I can. It is not a fluffy little pillowy angel. Ting! It's not that type of angel. It's not some daffodils and cherry sugar plum blossom. Ooh, angel, so cute. No, he is ferocious. A ferocious angel comes down... Uh, his appearance is like lightning. His, his clothes are as whiter than white. And I want you to catch the irony here. Who's guarding the tomb? Guards. Roman guards. The big, bad Romans. The bullies on your block. And they have at their disposal, in their hands, weapons of mass destruction. And they take one look at the angel. And what happens? They tremble and they fall like dead men. A fluffy angel doesn't make bullies tremble like quivering mounds of pudding. And then they just flop around like a, a fish out of water. That is what's happening to Roman guards. Imagine being Mary Mary looking at this. Why are they why are they like dead men? Behold, an angel. Whoa. I want you to see the irony in this. Men who had power, oppressive power, were overcome by a greater power that need not use any weapons. Just by the sight of him, they fall. Are we dealing with a fluffy little angel? No, we are dealing with an emissary of whom? God himself. This is the scene that Mary and Mary are surveying as they arrive near the tomb. Let's dive back in in verse 5. But the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who, lay, who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he has said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So after the men are shaking and, 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 and like dead men, the angel has to have a moment thinking, Perhaps I look fearful. Maybe I need to tell these poor women, Hey, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I know you've come to seek Jesus. Notice what Matthew says. He was crucified. That's on purpose. That's on purpose. He was crucified. It is not that way anymore. The angel, if he wanted to be correct, he, he, he would say he is crucified, but he was more correct because he said he was crucified. And right then, when the women hear that word was, small word, Cataclysmic meaning, yes? What do you mean he was crucified? What has happened? And then the angel says, He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Now for those of us who have been promised everything, only to be disappointed time after time after time after time after time, we have grown callous to promises of hope. Have we not? Can you imagine how they must have felt? We saw him die. And you're telling me now he's, he's risen? Can I actually believe this? It, will, will my heart actually hope again? He is risen. And so you can know, come see where he lay. He is no longer here. The angel knows. He's like, you, you need to come see. Come see. That's where he was. 
He's not there anymore. He's not there. Can you imagine what's happening to Mary and Mary at this point? He's not here. Where is he? The angel says, well, actually, um, you need to go tell his disciples he's risen from the dead. He's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I've told you. Angels apparently don't get paid by the hour. He's gone after this. It's like, bye. Came, saw, flopping like fish, quivering like pudding. Got you guys straight. I'm out. That's, that's the angel. And he says, you need to go ahead and, and tell what, you, who, what you've seen because I have told you. This is why we say Jesus Christ's resurrection is unequaled. Let me tell you why. Many of the other major religions of the world, their leaders, eyes on me for a second, their leaders are all dead. Christianity makes this audacious claim. Our, our, our Lord, our King, our soon coming King, he's alive. And because Jesus Christ is alive, he gives life to anyone who would ask. That's why we say it's unequal. Sure, Jesus actually rose Lazarus from death, John chapter 11. Lazarus later died again. We've heard of stories of people who have been resuscitated on the table only to die later. Jesus beats death. Tell me something. If you beat death, you get to call the shots, right? He beats death. The angel has the greatest news in all the world. He's alive. So what, what happens? Let's dive back in verse 8. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. They did not wait around just going, Wow, look at the scenery. Oh, cool, empty tomb. No, immediately they went out and they were going to do something. They were going to follow what they were told. Their posture is to have fear and great joy. So even they were told not to be afraid, there was still a little bit of fear, like, this is the greatest news ever. I, I want to tell people, but I don't want to mess it up. Like recently we had some friends who got pregnant. And uh, they called me on the phone to tell me. And it was weird because uh, this is one of my best friends. And he's like, hey, Jay. I was like, hey, what's going on? Well, uh, mm, uh, uh. I was like, you okay? Yeah, I'm okay. I was like, dude, uh, are you sure you're okay? He's like, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm okay. I'm like, I, I normally have this effect on people, right? And uh, he goes, I, ha I have something to tell you. He goes, are you sitting down? I'm like, yes, I wasn't. I lied. I'm like, yes, I'm sitting down, right? And uh, what's going on? He's like, well, um, uh, we, uh, uh, and finally you hear his wife go, we're pregnant! And I'm like, congratulations. And he's like, uh, yeah, did you hear her? Yes, I heard her. He's like, we're, we're, uh, we're, we're pregnant. I was like, actually, that's factually incorrect. She's pregnant. You're not, which is good for you. Um, and he was, just, he was so, like, overwhelmed with what has happened. Just, he, he's so, like, stunned by what he has seen, just like they were. And, and what do they do? They're going. They're going. And they ran with the greatest news in the world. Because the gospel is news, is it not? It's good news. That Jesus has come to redeem and restore. He's to redeem what is broken and restore what is wrong. He does it by himself. He needs not my help. 
and he's alive. He can do it, and he is doing it. Greatest news in the world. And then suddenly, uh, Matthew records behold, which is a word that, that means pay attention, as if you would need to pay attention to what you see next, right? As if you need to be told this. Behold, Jesus appears. Jesus met them and said, greetings. They were not expecting it at all. This is the coolest ever. Because think about it. If you rise from death, would you have the right to kind of be a little bit triumphant? It's like, behold, I am the Lord. I called my shots. Verily, I say to you, bow. Right? Instead, Jesus just walks up like a normal every day. He's like, greetings. Like, what's up? Why, why would he do something so chill like that? In other words, it's if to underscore, he goes, by the way, I said I would do this. I said I would rise again. I said I would come back. Greetings. In other words, it's like, it's just another day with me because you can trust me. I'm rock solid and rock steady. What I said will happen is happening. Greetings. What do they do? They came up and take hold of his feet and they worshiped him. The response is to worship, to fall at his feet. And unlike other times in the Gospels where Jesus says, don't do this, he accepts it. He accepts it because he is God in the flesh. He's like, I will, I will, I will accept your worship. Who are the first people to get to worship the risen Savior? Mary and Mary. Think about that. Think about that. Women, the first people to get to worship the risen Savior. The first people to get to, get to, to see him. And, and, and they fall at his feet and worship, and he accepts their worship. You see, when God reveals himself, we respond with worship. All over the Bible, when God reveals, we must respond. And our response must be worship. Not just worship with devotion, though. Worship and obedience. Let's, let's dive back in. Verse 10. Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. So after they worship him with devotion and extravagant love, they, they show that love by obeying what he says. Interesting that Jesus says, Don't be afraid. Yeah, my buddy there told you not to be afraid. Now I'm telling you not to be afraid. Have no fear. I have conquered death. I have conquered death. Their journey did not end in death. Their journey did not end at all. Our source for unending hope is solely based on Christ's unequaled resurrection, right? Without the resurrection, I have no hope. But because of the resurrection, I have hope forevermore. The most pressing needs I have, it's not for a new this or that, or an iPad, or an iPod, or a notepad, Okay, I, don't, I don't need any new car, new clothes. I don't need any of that. I have bigger needs than that. I need it's my sin problem to be dealt with and my death problem to be dealt with. The two most crunching obstacles to hope are sin and death. By the way, let's talk about sin real quick. Sin is anything I would say, think, or do that God would not approve. It's also failing to do what God has approved when God has t- told me to do it. All of us have done it. You calling me a sinner? Yeah, I am. Well, are you a sinner? More than you, probably. In fact, definitely. We've all done it. 
And that sin has led to death. So I need, I need my sin problem dealt with. I need my death problem dealt with. And Jesus has dealt with my sin problem on the cross. He, he pays for my sin. He has forgiven me of all my sin. And Jesus has dealt with my death problem with the empty tomb. Because Jesus is alive, I will have life forever. Right? So you've been going on some Advent adventures. And I'm not going to break protocol. I'm going to have a couple for you to go on. And it's all about hope. About the present reality of the resurrection. I want you to talk about, one, our our present um, implication of hope. Hope in the here and now. I want you to listen to Psalm 42. This is the psalmist having a conversation with himself. But I want you to listen to how he ministers to himself, even in the midst of hard times. Psalm 42, verse 9. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? But verse 11, actually a repeat of earlier in the psalm. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Hope in the here and now. How does hope change the way you think about your present circumstances? How does having the hope that Christ only brings, how does that change the way you think about these circumstances? Attitude. How does it change the way you think? But then action. How can you be a carrier of that hope to people around you in the coming days? How do you display that hope to others? Perhaps something to pray about, something to think about, something to get alone with God for a little while, and then maybe join with some brothers and sisters and have a brainstorming session. How can we proactively and practically be displayers of hope that comes from Christ? Hope for the here and now. But not just hope for the here and now. Venture number two. Hope in the hereafter. I want you to listen to Revelation 21. And by the way, let me make an editorial comment. And here's, here's a little stirring up of a holy ruckus for you. Before Revelation is about apocalypse and prophecy and bowls and judgments and dragons and really weird sci-fi kind of stuff, Revelation is a book of worship. And so reading Revelation with the lens of worship makes Revelation 21 even all the more impactful. John records these words in Revelation 21, starting in verse 1. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God's with man, he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Listen, verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Did you catch that? Look at me for a minute. Did you catch that? No more pain. No more mourning. No more death. No more relational discord. Some of you are thinking more practical at this point. No more traffic? No more traffic. (laughs) Who can make such a promise? Well, actually, verse 5. 
And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Notice he's not making all new things. It's an important distinction. Making all things new. And also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Hope for the hereafter. See, this is the thing. You and I, as, as Christ followers, we get to live differently in the world. We get to live differently. We get to display this to anyone and everyone all the time. So dwell in how your future hope will affect you down the road. Everyone has a life plan now. Five years, ten years. Where will I be in five years and ten years? Uh, think on how your hope forevermore will affect you no matter what happens in the next five years and the next ten years. Think of how your future hope, your secured hope forever and ever affects you uh, even five and ten years from now and then actively act on that by asking God to give you reminders of that future hope. Lord, I need you to just give me reminders of that hope. And don't be surprised if those reminders come through uh, other people. Holy Week, 2012. I got a call from my mom. Um, a little bit of background on my mom. My mom was a preacher's kid. Um, we grew up in a tradition where um, the preacher was seen as like the authority. My grandfather was a pastor for years, and then he had an affair, got kicked out of the pulpit. My mom saw the way that um, he acted and the way the church acted. So my mom and the church have had this tempestuous relationship for a long time. My mom missed our Christmas get-together, which is the first time she'd ever done that, because um, she was sick. She couldn't get over the sentence. She had this cough. It was like a smoker's cough on steroids, okay? And um, she calls me. She says, hey, um, they finally found out what's wrong with me. So what, what's that? Uh, there's, a, there's a mass in my left lung. Okay, okay. I'm going to get it checked out and I'll let you know what it is. No problem. Holy Week, 2012. I get a call from my sister on, on the Tuesday. She's like, I'm going to see Mon Mar where they tell her what's going on, uh, but I know what it is. It's a tumor. I go, well, I'm going with. Okay. I remember calling my mother that Tuesday about 5 o'clock. I say, hey, Mom, how are you? And this is her reaction. I'm fine. I forgot who I was talking to, and I went into preacher mode. That's a lie. You're lying to a pastor. How dare you? Double damnation for you, right? I mean, that's... I was like, Mom, I know you're not fine. She's like, okay, I, I'm scared. And again, I forgot who I was talking to. I, was, I went straight like, Mom, don't worry about this. Uh, God is not in heaven going... We missed an assignment. There's not an emergency Trinitarian board meeting. It's like, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, what do we do? Angels are not getting laid off because of this. I go, Mom, and God's not punishing you for throwing darts at the church for the last 25 years. He's not going, ha-ha, cancer, gotcha now. How you like the church, honey? You know, he's not doing that. I go, Mom, listen, if you get healed from this, you win. And mom, if you don't get healed from this, 
you really win. In just enough silence to make me think she was going to try to ground a near 40-year-old man. <laughs> she goes, son, you have no idea I needed to hear that. I needed to be reminded of the hope I have. Next day we go to the doctor's office. It is a full-blown stage four tumor. It would later grow so much that it would break two of her ribs. Chemo doesn't work. Radiation doesn't work. We have a family reunion, kind of a mini family reunion. Uh, Mom and all of her sisters all get together and they start playing piano. And we have a, a, a tradition, we come from a tradition where they have what's called a hymn sing, where you just call out hymn numbers and they just start singing until they're all done. And they sing all the verses. Not like in, in the church I grew up, we would sing like one, two, and four. They did one through four, right? And, um, and I just remarked to myself, man, I wish she'd be able to sing. And then right during the middle of I'll Fly Away, and I, I remember singing the song, and I, I was like, some glad morning, <laughs> I forgot the words, I'll fly away, you know, I'm like that. And I hear, I hear, that can't be her, but it sounds just like her. It's not my older sister, because the only one who sings worse than me is her. <laughs> and I look up, and it's my mom, and she's standing up, moving rhythmically. See, we grew up in a tradition where you didn't dance. You don't date, you don't dance, and you don't uh, say hi to each other at the liquor store. That's the denomination I grew up in, okay? <laughs> and here my mom is, rhythmically moving when she has one lung to breathe on and she's singing at the top of her lungs. Two days later, she went to the hospital. Two weeks later, she died. And it was like God was reminding me, he's like, here's a glimpse of what forever is going to be like. And let me tell you something. My mom is doing much better than all of us put together right now. Why? She is realizing the hope that she has. She's realizing the hope that she has. You and I have an unending source of hope based purely and solely on the unequaled resurrection of Jesus Christ. So I want you to imagine with me as we transition to get ready for the table. What a people armed with unending, unbroken, unbeaten hope can offer the world a world that's starving for it. Pray with me. Lord, I want to thank you for the simple truth that because Jesus is alive, we have life. We have hope because of the resurrection. We have confidence and expectation that what you say will be will actually be. Oh God, arm us with that. May we be ready to share that hope, to live in that hope, to praise you for that hope. Help us to consider the price that was paid for that hope. Thank you that we have Christ in us, the hope of glory, that we have been 
redeemed and restored because of your great love for us. We love you. We thank you. It's in the powerful and beautiful name of Jesus we pray.